Let's pray. Dear God, we want to be good stewards of your time this day as we meet together. And I pray that our hearts will be open to hear from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me have my welcome to, uh, to what's been shared this morning for those who are here in church. I know there's a lot of way, being the last weekend of the school holidays and a long weekend. Um, but for those of you who are here and those who are online, uh, I give you a welcome as well. Cathy Caprino is a global career and leadership coach. In December last year, she conducted a survey which consisted of over 1,600 people from around the world that she asked a question. She had a survey and asked this question. The question was, if you could say in one word what you want more of in life, what would that be? Now, there was 10 that she listed responses that were sort of the greatest number of responses. And they were things like more fulfilment, greater balance in life, uh, freedom, uh, joy. That was even mentioned, number five. But it probably wouldn't surprise you that the most common one was happiness. Most people, and this is what the survey response then went on with, most people have a vague idea of what makes them happy, but not a specific concrete understanding of what happiness is. To them, it really looks like the bar is an ever-increasing moving away from them experience. And secondly, the survey found that both men and women tend to search outside themselves for happiness in their job, in a partner. So they were not alone. I've got a partner in life, a family, having children, a title, notoriety, good wages, impressive house, etc., etc. I remember as a young man, and I was in ministry, and uh, I guess I've always liked cars. And um, I, I thought as a young guy in my teenage years, if I had a nice car, that would really make me happy. And I did have a nice car back then as a young man, and it was stolen and burnt, and uh, you know, that sort of threw that idea out the window pretty quickly. But I remember then... When we were living in Nowra, our children were born in Nowra. This is going back 40 years ago. And my older brother had a yellow Porsche. It was a very nice car. And I had it in my garage. We had it in our garage uh, on the off-season, on the winter months. But with this happiness of having this yellow Porsche sitting in the garage, I had this great fear. If I take it out, where do I park it? I don't want anybody to open their doors at the supermarket and scratch the side of it or whatever. All these... Um, anxiety issues and all these fears came from something that I had thought for many years earlier that would make me happy. So I never owned it, so it was okay, right? It didn't make me happy. But as a result, happiness is consistently out of the grass and comes, becomes this perpetually moving target that never stands still long enough for any of us to grasp. Things can make us happy but we're always change, chasing something else, aren't we? It is not satisfying and long-lasting. It's interesting that number two in that survey was money. 
I ask the question then, why is it that in Australia each year we spend so much money on trying to find a quick way to get rich? Back in the financial year 2019-2020 in Australia, 174 billion, B for billion, dollars was spent in a variety of ways of gambling that were seeking to achieve to make people happy. Researchers also found that about 70% of lottery winners end up broke and a third of them declaring bankruptcy. And I'd read a lot of articles over the years that many people who'd won the lottery had wished they'd never won the ticket because they became so unhappy. A question that has been part of my consideration over the years is, why do as Christians we pursue happiness more than we do joy? And I guess there's a, a variety of answers that I could give to you or you could even share with me. But it seems to me, even from this survey, that we mostly find happiness through the things of the world, the things that we want to pursue, the things we want to add to our life. Whereas I understand from Scripture that we find joy through the things of the Spirit. Joy is a gift, a gift from God. And like the other eight fruits of the, fruit of the Spirit, it is a, a gift that comes from the Holy Spirit, a, a something that God has given to us and wants us to have. So as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, we have God's Spirit within our lives. We don't always activate that. We don't always live within that. We don't always uh, follow the ways of God in that way. But we have it. It's available to us in our lives. And in Galatians chapter 2, uh, sorry, 5, verse 22 and 23, we read the words, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and, and self-control. And then it goes on in that verse, it says, and against such things there is no law. It's interesting that those verses follow uh, the verses that talked about the, the, um, the, thing, the desires of the flesh. And we have this battle, don't we, in our lives. We all have it. That as we live our lives, we have advertising, we have friends, we have neighbours, we have people we work with, people we study with, people we play sport with, who've got these things and they seem to be happy. And I'm not against happiness. I think happiness is a great thing to experience. But in our then interpretation, our perception is that if we had that or we had that or our kids didn't behave the way they do or... If if my partner was, was more supportive or cooked nicer or whatever, then I'd be happier. Now, most of us, I guess the older we get, and I'm getting older, I'm realising that's not the answer. But God has given us the resources that can equip us to stand strong against the things of the flesh, the things of the world. And that is found in Galatians 5, those verses. And this is good news. This should excite us. This love and joy and peace are among the most unmistakable marks of a faithful, contented heart. When you meet somebody, maybe for the first time or you've met them before and you meet them 
you know, several times later, that there is something about people who have a sense of joy, and usually that goes hand in hand with a sense of peace as well. There's something about them that is attractive. There's something about them that you just enjoy being with and you like to connect with. There's, they, they, they can be happy, they can be sad, they can be uh, disappointed, they can be angry even. But there's still something within them that is very appealing, something that just draws you towards them. And that is God's gifts to us. They're the things that make us alive, those things that make us survive. They're the things that actually extend us in our lives to, be, to go beyond um, where we can be in our own limits. And in John 15, Jesus says these words, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. How do, you, well, how do you do in remaining in the vine? How do I do? Neither can we bear fruit unless we do remain in the vine. We remain in Christ. Biblical joy has been described as this, that it comes from the Lord through the Holy Spirit. It is a perpetual gladness of the heart that comes from knowing and experiencing and entrusting Jesus. And in John 15, verse 11, it says, Jesus speaking, I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy, this is Jesus speaking, might be your joy. Or one other version says that my joy might, may be or might be in you, and then your joy will be complete. That's a promise. That is something that we have available in our, in our walk with God every day. It's about how do we tap into that. John Piper, and I like listening to some of John Piper's um, messages, he, he has said this, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes, as a spirit, as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. In John chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and telling them he was going away. That in time, their sadness, which they were going to experience, would turn into joy. And we pick up these verses from verse 21. Uh, sorry, verse 20 through to verse 22. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, you will, reap, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. But the world will rejoice. You will grieve but your grief will suddenly turn to the, to the joyful, to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labour. Let me just stop there for a minute. I have no appreciation for you ladies of the pains of childbirth. My only experience was to be an observer twice and to see Jenny go through that pain. And I did say to her after our daughter was born, and it wasn't because of our daughter's fault, 
if you never want to go through this again, I'm with you, honey, okay? So let me pick up the passage again. So woman suffering through the pains of labour, when her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. I couldn't believe that several weeks after Shirley was born and Simon was born, Jen said, isn't it great having a baby? I wouldn't mind having another one of these. What the? Had she forgotten already anyway? So we have sorrow now. This is what Jesus is saying. Or Peter, sorry, Jesus is saying to his disciples, to his followers. You have, we have, you have, so you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice. And I love this part of the promise. And no one can rob you of that joy. No one can rob you of that joy. What I've come to understand joy to be is that no matter what is happening in my life, whether I'm happy or sad, going through good times or tough times, being liked or disliked, joy is my stabiliser. It is my consistency. It is Christ living in me and no one can rob me of that joy. Some days I don't do as well as I should on that, but that's still what my belief is. That's what I want to hold on to. That's what I, I believe is so significant for us in our faith that in spite of what is happening in our world, there's something within us, God's spirit, that allows us to experience joy. And even a passage like Hebrews 12 verse 2. Jesus had a focus on joy. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I don't believe that Jesus found joy in the event of the cross. What he did find joy in was the guaranteed outcome of the event. He didn't find joy in the nails going through his hands and feet. Rather, he endured the cross. He knew he had to go through the suffering and pain and shame. Knowing that the price for our sin would be paid with his death on the cross. The knowledge of that truth brings me great joy. See, it is different to go through pain with purpose than it is to go through pain without purpose. This was the joy set before him. He had real purpose, fulfilling God's plan for reconciliation of us his creation to God himself. And fulfilling God's plan of reconciliation, we find real purpose as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. You see, what I, I, I see the model in, in, in Jesus was that he came to serve. And I think when we look at passages like Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse um, 17, that when we get the focus of ourselves and onto God, then my life is being poured out as a part, as the sacrifice and service I offer to God. 
that my life is being poured out as a part, as the sacrifice and service I offer to God, then I will be filled with joy. And actually going on, and it says, if I use my gifts to help others, this is in serving, as Jesus did in 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift God has given you so that we might or you might serve others. The whole maintaining of joy is in the heart, I believe, of service, which was the model of Christ. Now, Paul, as we know, is writing a letter from jail in, uh, in, in, as he wrote to the church at Philippi. And he, he sought to encourage them in spite of the opposition they were experiencing. And he shares from his own life as an example of how to respond to hardship with joy. Paul had a testimony. And I'm not sure about you, but I, I get great joy when I hear people's testimonies, that they go through some really tough stuff, stuff beyond my even understanding of how people cope. And as they do, they seek to encourage me and others. The book of Philippians has been described as the most joyful book in the Bible, often known as the epistle of joy. And we, I guess I want to read to you some verses from Philippians. Chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. But those first, that first opening line, rejoice in the Lord always, and I say again, rejoice. As we do that, as we embrace that experience of our focus of being joyful in God and his provision within our life, then we will really experience the fullness of what God wants to do within our lives. And notice too that that rejoice in the Lord to me is a command. It's a very clear directive of of God to us that we need to rejoice in the Lord. And Paul's joy wasn't based on a sunny optimism or positive mental attitude as much as it was on the confidence that God was in control. That really was the joy of the Lord. In James, his half-brother of Jesus, James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. This doesn't seem to be right, does it? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of, any, of many kinds. It's not the way of the world. The pure joy, seems to me, is the position and privilege of the person who follows Jesus Christ. Ironically, Jesus-generated joy is discovered and developed in the face of trials. I read this and I thought this was really nice. 
Trials are designed to bring out God's best in us and our best in God. I want to tell you about a lady. Her name was Elizabeth K. Lewis. She was born in 1954. She's still alive. American author, Bible teacher, international speaker, mental health advocate. She uh, grew up, her dad was a pastor, attended a Christian college, then went to California State University. And just along the way, she got married and she married a man by the name of Rick Warren. Yes, it's Kay Warren, Rick's wife. They were married in 1975 and they began the Saddleback Church with seven other people as a little Bible study group in 1980. At the end of last year, 42 years later, the church has a weekly attendance on many campuses, campuses of 30,000 people, plus four other countries have church planted in them coming out of Saddleback. Kay is the mother of three children. And in 2013, their youngest child, Matthew, at the age of 28, committed suicide by shooting himself. This was to much distress for Kay and Rick, as it would be for any parent to have go through an experience like this. But on top of that, Kay was physically and emotionally abused in her younger years. She had two bouts of cancer in her, in her life. Her grandson was born prematurely and nearly died on the delivery table and had to be resuscitated. Not long after that, the mother of this little baby, the grandson, uh, Kay's daughter-in-law, had a large brain tumour the size of a tennis ball and had surgery and God has graciously healed her. And in more recent years, um, Rick has struggled with an um, autoimmune disease that uh, has not, not life-threatening but has debilitated him and causes him constant pain. This is a bit of background to Kay's story. Kay was asked many years ago to speak on the topic of joy, which she did. Did a preparation and she did. And then in more recent years, she was asked again to preach on a similar topic. So she went back through her files and, and dug out her script. And the script was called Choose Joy. And as she read through the old notes, she started to realise that she taught it, she spoke about it, she encouraged others with it but she wasn't experiencing real joy, God's joy, the fullness of God's joy in her life. So she went exploring. She went searching for this answer. And two things came out. Firstly, in James 1, which we've already read, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials and many kinds of problems. She had faced many trials but hadn't considered them as pure joy. So she changed the way she saw them. Secondly, when she was reading through John 11, John 15, sorry, 15, 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be complete. We've shared that verse already. She started to believe that she could have Jesus' joy and be totally complete. So as a result of her research, she then was able to... Um, well, she defined then joy this way, which I really do like. Joy is a settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. 
It's a quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and it's a determined choice to praise God in all things. When I read that and I dwelt on that for some time, I just thought, wow. Now, I realise that many of you have got similar or parts of stories similar to Kay. And it's an it's amazing joy for me to often spend time with you, even if it's laughing or crying. But as then a result of this, what has impacted her life. She wrote this book. Um, it's available these days. And it's called Choose Joy Because Happiness is Not Enough. And I think that is totally right. Let me finish with these thoughts. C.S. Lewis, uh, in talking about joy, and he felt the true definition of joy goes beyond the limited explanation presented in the dictionary which was simply a feeling of good pleasure and happiness. But he said this, true joy is a limitless, life-defining, transformative reservoir waiting to be tapped into. That's typical C.S. Lewis writing, isn't it? Eh? I'll, I'll say that bit again. So true joy is a limitless, life-defining, transformative reservoir waiting to be tapped into. It requires the utmost surrender like love and it's a choice to be made. I believe that God wants us to cultivate and nourish joy in our lives. I think he also wants us to encourage others to, to um, cultivate and nourish joy in their lives as well. Those who rejoice in the Lord are very magnetic, as I said earlier. You want to be with them. They're great company. And this passage of Scripture, just to finish, in, in, in the first letter that Peter wrote, uh, he expressed clear praise to God uh, as our living hope. And this living hope came through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we read these words. And I want to uh, encourage you with these words as well. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I'm going to pray. And at the end of the service, anybody would like just to come and pray with me and some of the elders will be here as well about for yourself or for other people that are on your hearts. I'd encourage you and invite you to do that. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that by your creation, you have planned to have such a personal connection with each of us through your Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Please help us to understand all that is so available for each of us to live victoriously. We want to embrace and live out all the promises and all the commands you have made available to us in your word. Give us insight, I pray, to understand that we don't have to live under the restrictions of our own fears and reservations, rather to experience all the freedom that is found in being a unique, beautiful child of the kingdom of God. I pray this awareness on all of us who hear this message today. 
In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.